everybody doing? I don't know if you hear that message and you go, it makes me a little, a little nervous that we're not gonna have the gym. It's just another way that God's keeping us on our toes. He's gonna do what he's gonna do and we're gonna be his church, you know? That's what gives me peace. Uh, <clears throat> this morning we're gonna focus on, uh, come back into our uh, series on John and uh, I'm really excited about it. John's one of my favorite books in, in the Bible. I realize that I've said that about multiple books, but I'm just a fan. Uh, <clears throat> for those of you who have had children, do you remember the first time you brought a child home from the hospital? You left the hospital and you're like, these people let me take this human being home. We were living in South Carolina when we had our firstborn. And the difference between having a, having a child in, in South Carolina versus having one at SPH is very drastic. I can't tell you how much I more prefer having a child in Homer for many different reasons, but mostly because of the people who work there. When we had our firstborn, uh, we didn't know this, but my wife had a, has a, um, a condition that will kill the baby if in utero for too long. And so on Friday afternoon, about three weeks before our due date, we get a phone call and it says, you need to come to the hospital immediately. And then we spent the weekend with that news. And then on Monday, we came to the doctor and the doctor says, you're gonna have a baby tomorrow. And my first thought was, no, we're not. We got three more weeks of no child, and I need that three more weeks because in a little while we're moving to Homer, moving to Alaska. I need as much time as we need. And she explains to me and I say, okay, I guess we're having a child tomorrow. I leave the hospital and go to the DMV <laughs> to take care of business. So uh, another noteworthy thing about the, the first time we had a kid was, I assumed that my wife, who is one of 13, knew everything there was to having a child. And so she elected to not do any preparatory classes. We didn't go to Lamaze classes. We didn't do anything. And we get to the delivery room and all of a sudden I feel a sense of anxiety about not knowing what's happening. So we're there all day. She's being induced into labor. Uh, we go through the shift change of the nurses and uh, the new nurse comes in and takes a look at Maranatha and says, you guys let me know what you want to do and walks out of the room. And at this point, it's getting a little, you know, I can tell Maranatha's uncomfortable. Something's happening. And she looks at me and she says, you need to go tell that nurse to get back in here and we don't know what we're doing. She needs to tell us what's happening. The nurse, the same nurse, five minutes later, walks into the room and says, okay, it's time to push now. What's the difference? <laughs> Why did you? So we have a baby, everything's great. Uh, we go to the room next day. Um, I mean, it was like five minutes later. Here he is. You, Why didn't you tell us that? <laughs> get to the next room and so the, they're discharging us and this this little woman this little nurse comes in and she looks at me and she says okay there's some things that I have to say to you per law in South Carolina 
when we let you take a child out. You need to know that if you shake this baby, you will go to big boy prison. And I thought, who would shake a baby? <laughs> Only took a little while to figure out who would shake a baby. In the middle of the night, all by myself, I hear this little nurse's voice in my head, don't shake that baby or you're going to end up in big boy prison. Lay the baby down. Walk out of the room. <clears throat> John is trying to shake the baby with chapter one of his epistle, of his uh, uh, gospel. John is trying to shake you awake. John is trying to specifically shake awake the, his contemporaries, his Jewish friends, because they have an idea of what the Messiah is going to look like. And at this point in the redemption's history, as he's writing these words, he's realizing these people are stuck in their ways and missing the glory that they have just experienced in Jesus' coming and Jesus' incarnation. Anybody have that feeling or is it just me that you're in the middle of the night and you're like, I might, I might have to shake this baby. Is it just me? This is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to try to get you to see, uh, see God's glory, God's grace, and God's truth. Because that's what John is doing. In chapter 1, verse 14, I'm going to read it for you. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And what does that grace look like? Or what does that glory look like? It's full of grace and truth. If you were here last week, what John is doing is he is uh, offering you a hyperlink from the Old Testament in order to understand what is happening. So John starts out, his first three words were in the beginning. The hyperlink for that is Genesis 1. The hyperlink for John 1.14 is actually seen in verse 17 where he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what John is doing is he's saying, if you want to understand the glory of Jesus, you need to go back and read Exodus, specifically where Moses is eye to eye with God's glory on Mount Sinai. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to spend time talking about God's glory how this is a greater representation of what Moses experienced and how not only Moses, but now John and us are experiencing his glory as grace and truth. Ready? So the word becomes flesh and John sees it and he understands that this is God's greater glory being made known to man. 
When you hear the term glory, what comes to mind? Something glorious that you have experienced in this lifetime. You ever been to an NFL game? About Tom Brady. He's like the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. Amen? What about... uh, If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, what about that moment when Gandalf the White shows up? Oh, yes, he's back. So much glory, right? Glory in his his light and his presence. Yeah? What about Michael Jordan? Anybody watch, grow up Michael Jordan, watching Michael Jordan? By far the greatest NBA player ever. Don't care what you, if you're a LeBron fan or not. Uh, how about uh, how about Taylor Swift? Some of you in this room are just like really huge Taylor Swift fans. If I could offer you five million dollars or five hours with any of those people, which one would you take? What about? If you could spend five hours with Jesus or $5 million. If you answer $5 million to that question, you and I need to talk after this. John has this experience. Can you imagine what it's like for John to experience the transfiguration of of witnessing uh, Jesus in his full glory? And now John is writing to these people as one who has seen the glory of God and saying, guys, don't miss out on this. And so he's he's writing to his contemporaries and saying, I need you to to remember what happened in Exodus. Let me read it to you. Exodus chapter 19, 16 through 19 says, On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning. A thick cloud was upon the mountain, and a very loud blast of the ram's horn went out, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke rose like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. And as the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Can you imagine standing at the end of the spit and looking across at this great cloud descending on Grace Ridge, and all of the earth, all of creation trembling before this presence? It's the glory like you've never seen before. And in that moment, as Moses is is standing in this mountain, he's invited up to the presence of the Lord, and, and God speaks to him. He says to Moses in chapter 32, verse 7 and 10, he says, I want you to go down to your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf 
and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath might burn hotly against them. Can you imagine standing in that scene, witnessing that level of glory of God, knowing that he's the one who brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery, and yet you've made a golden calf and are dancing around it, worshiping it? Moses and John are trying to get people to see is to, is to marvel at the glory that is, in, that is there for them to see. How many of you men have had your wives tell you that you can't find anything? Come on. You're so bad at finding anything. You go open the fridge and you look in there and you're like, I know there's ketchup in here somewhere. Honey, where's the ketchup? In the fridge. No, it's not. She walks up to the fridge, doesn't even look, just sticks her hand in there and finds it with her feelings. <laughs> How'd you do that? I know that the, that the ketchup is on the top right. It's it got a specific spot. I open it up, reach for it. If it's not exactly there, it's not there, right? That's how it works. I had a box right there. <laughs> I'm going to shake you, Chris. <laughs> I had a box. I had an illustration. <laughs> I thought you were joking. <laughs> no, I found it. <laughs> Listen. I was going to say something smart earlier, but I refrained. Now I'm going to do it anyway. Aaron is up here walking Tyler through the declaration. When I got to the declaration, he's just like, get up there and do it, Matt. Here you go. <laughs> and the thing is ruined, and now my box is gone. <laughs> Imagine that this is the box of life. <laughs> and you... You are desperately, this, the world is trying to see into this box to find the purpose of why we're here. And you're just looking around, looking around constantly, trying to find, what, what am I doing here? Why are we here? And God, in all of his glory, comes alongside of you and shines the light for you to see. And what John's about to say is that the true light has come into the world. It says this in verse 9 through 11. The true light has come into the world. And some people are going to respond by saying, get that light out of my face. Don't you know I'm trying to figure this out? I don't need that glory. I don't need that light in my life. And there are some of us who see God's light and go, this thing is what I was looking for the whole time. This glory that was revealed to me in this light, this is what I need. Forget trying to find it in the box. The light is the purpose of why I'm here.
John is saying is that God's glory has permeated the world like never before in the life and presence of Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't be stiff-necked like the people who are sitting in front of Mount Sinai. Don't miss it. Don't be stuck in your ways. This glory is why we're here. So he says in chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. But what's that glory like? How did John experience God's glory? John says that this glory was full of grace. And the way that I typically have read this in the past is that John is trying to say, pay attention to God's glory in his grace. And then in verse 17, if you read, the distinction is between the law of Moses and Jesus as grace. And so I think a lot of times we come to that passage and we want to say uh, grace and law are opposed to each other. That's not at all the case. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The law, the teachings of the Old Testament are not supposed to be things that that weigh you down. It's supposed to be a grace to you. And so John is about to say that uh, this is actually God's law being presented to you in Christ as grace upon grace. Let's come back to Moses. God tells him, I'm going to wipe out these people. And Moses says, "Um, what about your promises throughout history? How's that going to play out? He says in Exodus 32, 11 through 12, Moses implored the Lord God. Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. This is what's insane. So in that moment, Moses, in the midst of swirling smoke and fire, God listens to Moses and says, okay, I'll relent. I will be gracious towards my people, even though I have demonstrated my grace to these people time and time again by delivering them from slavery, by defeating their enemy in the Red Sea and leading them into the wilderness and feeding them with my own hands. Grace on grace on grace. Moses comes down from the mountain carrying the two tablets, 
the Ten Commandments. And he lays eyes on what these people are doing, and he throws the commandments down and says to himself, God had every right to wipe every one of you out. How many of you have experienced God's grace and then in fleeting moments said, I was on my own strength? I have. God's grace is evident, is poured out in, in crazy, incredible ways prior to Mount Sinai and on Mount Sinai, and yet they turn away from his grace. Matthew 5.17 says, Jesus is saying, says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It's not the law opposed to grace. It's the law and grace working together. In spite of man's inability to live up to the law, God has come and put on flesh. And John says, I've seen him. I walked with him. I laid my head on his bosom. He is my friend. I have experienced his grace, and I want you to know that you can also experience his grace. And in Jesus' life, what greater grace could you ask for? Therefore, the law is not opposed to God's grace. Rather, it is a pathway towards experiencing God's grace upon grace. Do you see the law as that? Do you know that God's grace is there for you? But that's not all that John has experienced of God's glory. He says that there's glory full of truth in Jesus. Jesus isn't, or John isn't just blown away by God's grace, but he is, he is experiencing the truth of God in the flesh of Jesus. God is wrapping up his time on Mount Sinai. It's time to leave this spot and go to the next spot in the wilderness, leading them towards the promised land. He starts to tell Moses, this is the plan. We're going to leave. But now something's going to be different. He says in Exodus 32, 33, verse 2 and 3, he says, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people.
None of us can understand what being a slave was like then and then having God physically step in and remove them from physical slavery and then start leading them into the promised land and then say, here's the thing, you've experienced my grace, but you need to know something else about me. There's some contingencies about this. See, I'm God and you're not. I'm holy and you're not there yet. I'm divine. I'm God almighty. And that's the truth. This isn't something that you can play with. Moses responds, he says, if, if your presence isn't with us, I don't, we can't leave here. We're not going to leave here. Verse 13, he says, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this is your nation your people. Moses is saying, teach me the truth about who you are so that I can, I can hold it, so I can experience your glory more. Don't separate me from this. Allow me to stay in your grace and to grow in my knowledge of who you are, the truth. God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest Moses says, please show me your glory. Show me your unadulterated glory. In verse 19, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. This is who I am. I am the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And Moses has seen his glory and experienced his grace and he's humble enough to admit it. You're truly God Almighty and I'm nothing without you. Guess what? John understands it too. 1 John 5.20, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is true God and eternal life. Moses and John are proclaiming the same thing. This God is the capital T truth. Right after God says, I'll show you my grace, I'll show you my goodness. He tells Moses in chapter and verse 20, he says, but you cannot see my face. 
you can't see my face and live. That's how holy I am. And so he, he hides him behind a cleft of rock, covers it with his hand, passes by, and he allows Moses to see his back. And in seeing his back, Moses' face shines because he has borne witness to the glory of God Almighty, who is full of grace and truth. And John now writes in his gospel, his account of the gospel, I have seen Jesus face to face. He says it like this in in verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Jesus is now taking steps with John in Israel. This God who shielded Moses' face is now letting John lay his head on his chest. How do you comprehend that? The one that that causes all of creation to shake and tremble before his presence, and yet he's come to you, welcome you into his arms. He calls you his friend. He says, I'm I'm full of grace. But you also have to know that there's, there's truth to this that you're going to have to admit to. What greater treasure is there to behold than God's glory and grace and truth? So I'll leave you with this question. Read this verse this week and ask yourself this question. How are you, like Moses, like John, seeking out God's glory, grace, and truth? Are you searching in the box, trying to find your way? Or are you staring at the light, letting it guide you? Each and every day, ask yourself that question. God, how can I experience your grace, your truth, and glory? He's come. He's made himself known. We're going to go into worship. There's going to be a prayer team in the back. There's offering receptacles and communion for you to take part in. Let's take a moment and pray. Would you guys stand? to withstand and yet 
you have given us your son so that we might experience it on increasing levels. And I pray that in this moment, as we come before you, that you would guide each individual purpose, person in this room into greater glory, greater experiences of your glory. Or would you lead us? Would you help us to understand your grace and your truth and what you've shown us consistently throughout Scripture, who you are, what you called us to be? In Jesus' name. It's Christmas. It's God in the flesh come to us. Prince of Peace. The Alpha and the Omega. Christ the Lord. Our prayer for you uh, this week, this coming season, is that you would experience him in a greater measure. That you would connect with him. That you would reach to him. That you would be found by him. Officially in until 1230. If you want to stick around for a little bit, help us tear down. That's always a blessing to our teams. Uh, we have our women's chapel tonight happening over at the Rock at 630. That's for women sixth grade and up. Uh, you're welcome to uh, join the ladies for that. Otherwise, God bless you. May he keep you. May his peace be upon you.